father would dislike to do so, said nothing about the matter. A pity, exclaimed Mr. Whiston. That was his respectable name, as they strolled away. It looked at first as if we should have such a nice, quiet dinner. I enjoyed it all the same, replied his companion, whose name was Rose. That abominable habit of drinking, added Mr. Whiston austerely. He himself had quaffed water as always. Their ale, indeed. See the coarse, gross creatures it produces. He shuddered. Rose, however, seemed less consentient than usual. Her eyes were on the ground. Her lips were closed with a certain firmness. When she spoke, it was on quite another subject. They were Londoners. Mr. Whiston held the position of draftsman in the office of a geographical publisher. Though his income was small, he had always practised a rigid economy, and the possession of a modest private capital put him beyond fear of reverses. Profoundly conscious of social limits, he felt it as subject for gratitude that there was nothing to be ashamed of in his calling, which he might fairly regard as a profession and he nursed this sense of respectability as much on his daughter's behalf as on his own. Rose was an only child. Her mother had been dead for years. Her kinsfolk on both sides lay claim to the title of gentlefolk, but supported it on the narrowest margin of independence. The girl had grown up in an atmosphere unfavourable to mental development, but she had received a fairly good education, and nature had dowered her with intelligence. A sense of her father's conscientiousness and of his true affection forbade her to criticise openly the principles on which he had directed her life, hence a habit of solitary meditation, which half fostered, yet half opposed the gentle diffidence of Rose's character. Mr. Whiston shrank from society, ceaselessly afraid of receiving less than his due. Privately, meanwhile, he deplored the narrowness of social opportunities granted to his daughter and was forever forming schemes for her advantage, schemes which never passed the stage of nervous speculation. They inhabited a little house in a western suburb, a house illuminated with every domestic virtue, but scarcely a dozen persons crossed the threshold within a twelve-month. Rose's two or three friends were, like herself, mistrustful of the world. One of them had lately married after a very long engagement, and Rose still trembled from the excitement of that occasion, still debated fearfully with herself on the bride's chances of happiness. Her own marriage was an event so inconceivable that merely to glance at the thought appeared half immodest and wholly irrational. Every winter, Mr. Whiston talked of new places which he and Rose would visit when the holidays came round. Every summer, he shrank from the thought of adventurous novelty and ended by proposing a return to the same western seaside town, to the familiar lodgings. The climate suited neither him nor his daughter, who both needed physical as well as moral bracing. But they only thought on this on finding themselves at home again, with another long year of monotony before them. And it was so good to feel welcome, respected, to receive the smiling reverences of tradesfolk, to talk with just a little well-bred condescension, sure that it would be appreciated. Mr. Whiston savoured these things, and Rose, in this respect, was not wholly unlike him. Today was the last of their vacation. 
The weather had been magnificent throughout. Rose's cheeks were more than touched by the sun, greatly to the advantage of her unpretending comeliness. She was a typical English maiden, rather tall, shapely rather than graceful, her head generally bent, her movements always betraying the diffidence of solitary habit. The lips were her finest feature, their perfect outline indicating sweetness without feebleness of character. Such a girl is at her best towards the stroke of thirty. Rose had begun to know herself. She needed only opportunity to act upon her knowledge. A train would take them back to the seaside. At the railway station, Rose seated herself on a shaded part of the platform, while her father, who was exceedingly short of sight, peered over publications on the bookstall. Rather tired after her walk, the girl was dreamily tracing a pattern with the point of her...